Grandpa Jeff at their house, but uh, uh, glad to be here in a preaching role for you again today. In just a few moments, we're going to look at a number of passages of Scripture, and they're going to try to put those on the screen for you. But if you'd like to turn to the first passage, it's Ephesians chapter 4. Ephesians chapter 4. Uh, and we'll be looking in just a few minutes, starting in verse 11. You're living through a remarkable time as a church family. You are in the process of saying goodbye to a founding pastor and a long-term pastor for your church. And you're in the process of saying hello to a new pastor, Reuben, and his wife, uh, Brittany, who will be coming very soon. This kind of transition can be challenging for a church. You may feel a lot of different emotions, some sadness and some happiness at the same time, some sense of loss coupled with a sense of celebration, maybe some doubt and some question about what the future may hold. And so this morning, uh, Rondi asked me if I would talk about these issues, and in a few minutes I'd like to preach this message entitled, Getting Ready for a New Pastor. But in order to do that, I wonder if I could also just offer you a perspective, if I might, about what's going on here from a different point of view than you might be experiencing it as a church. In 1989, my wife, Anne, and our three small children, Melody was two, moved to Portland, Oregon to plant a new church. And that church grew and became very effective and very healthy, much like yours. And then after I had been there for about uh, five or six years, to my great surprise one day, uh, some people called me and asked me if I would consider becoming the executive director of the Northwest Baptist Convention. That's the Baptist Convention that serves Washington and Oregon and part of Idaho. Well, it took a few months of processing on that request and on that decision, but eventually I made the decision that it was God's leadership for me to go to become the executive director of the Northwest. And in doing that, I left a church that I had planted and been the pastor of for about five or six years to move to a different kind of work that really I'd never imagined doing in my life up until that point. Well, we continued in that role for 10 years, and then I moved on from there to become the president of the seminary, where, believe it or not, I am now serving for my 20th year as president. So when I say I have a little bit of perspective on this, I'm looking back over about 30 years of hindsight to see what's happening right here in your church. I find it very interesting that Rondi and Melody moved here to plant the church, and they had three small children. And then he did such a good job that after these five or six years or seven years here, what's happened is that his fellow pastors across Wyoming have come to him and said, would you be willing to take the leadership role for our work here in our state and become the executive director of the Wyoming Baptist Convention? I hope you understand what a significant honor that is for you first as a church. You may not see it that way. You may think, I don't feel honored. I feel like we're losing our pastor that we've loved for these years. But do you understand that in the almost 100 churches across Wyoming, 
that the pastors in this state reached out to Green River, to Living Hope, and asked you to extend your pastor to leadership across the state. I hope you have a sense of honor this morning as a church. That's a significant thing that's happened here for you, that that, that, that would be extended to you. And then it's also an honor for, for Rondi, of course, and for Melody and for their family to be given this significant responsibility. Now, I'm still talking about perspective, so let me give you a little more of that. There's only 41 of the people in the United States who do the job that Rondi's been asked to do. Only 40, 41. That's out of 16 million Southern Baptists, 41 state conventions, almost 50,000 churches. Just about 40 men are asked to be the leaders of the states. And you've produced a pastor and had a church that represented a ministry that generated a leader that could step into that kind of role. So I want you to know this morning that I honor you as a church for the work you've done. I certainly honor Rondi for the work that he's done. And I hope that as the years go by, you're going to look back on these days and celebrate what happened here and the launching point it became for your church to take this kind of leadership across the state of Wyoming as you've done this work of making this happen in this family's life. There's one more perspective on this that I find interesting. When I became the state executive director in the Northwest Baptist Convention, there was an old-timer on the staff. He'd been there for almost 30 years. His name was Harold Hitt. He was Rondi's grandfather. Now, at the time, I thought he was a really old guy, but I'm the same age now that he was then, so he looks a lot younger these days. But he was the person who was the right-hand man, if you would say it that way, of the state executive. He was the state director of missions. He had done that for almost 30 years when I became the executive director. And I get a bit emotional talking about this because he didn't have to treat me the way he did or honor me the way he did, but... A man almost 30 years my senior came alongside me and helped me for the first two years I was a state executive as my vital partner in getting me launched into that new role. And that's where I first met Rondi. Now, I didn't actually meet him. I just heard about him every day over lunch. <laughs> Rondi was a remarkable young athlete in middle school and high school, and that was when his grandfather and I were working together, and we often ate lunch together in the lunchroom there in our building. And it was, it was almost every week I got stories about what his grandfather had seen his grandsons do on some sporting field somewhere. Who knew that someday later that young man would grow up to marry my daughter and become your pastor and now become a state executive director. But I tell you that story because I think Rondi is stepping into the lineage, if you will, of his family's legacy, started with his grandfather, extended through his parents who are also here today, Ron and Kay, and then on to Rondi and Melody in this kind of leadership role. So, Rondi, we're proud of you. And uh, I know your grandfather would be proud of you today. And I know the church here uh, is proud of you and Melody and the work that you're doing and going to be doing across the state. Well, that's enough perspective. And <clears throat> before I cry, uh, completely lose it up here, uh, let me get my breath and say, uh, that's enough for perspective. Now let me shift my focus, if I can, and talk to you about what you can do as a church to Get ready to receive a new pastor into your lives. Now, I've structured this message very simply this morning. I'm going to ask you four, I'm going to ask four questions 
And I'm going to try to answer those four questions from the Bible and give you some illustrations and some perspective on now almost 40 plus years of ministry that help you to understand what it's like to get ready to receive a new pastor. So the first question is this, why is this such a big deal? Why are pastors so important? Why are pastors so important? Well, the first answer is this. Pastors are important because they're a gift from God. Now, Ephesians chapter 4, verse 11 says this. And he himself, meaning God, and he himself gave some to be apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, some pastors, and teachers. And the verse goes on to say, for the equipping of the saints for the work of service. Now think about this. God has given the church a gift. It's the gift of leaders, our leadership. Some of them are listed here. Apostles, prophets, evangelists. But last on the list, because it's the most important on the list, pastors, or some translate this, pastors slash teachers. Pastors. They are a gift from God. Now you might think, really? Okay, we see their mistakes, we see their shortcomings, we see their struggles, we see their difficulties, we see that they are clay-feeted people just like the rest of us, just trying to trudge through life. Yes, I understand pastors are not in a different class than the rest of us, they're just people. But they are also special people. They are a gift from God to the church. God looks out of heaven and picks out some men for some strange reason and says, that one's going to be a pastor. And I'm going to send that one to this church as a special gift of leadership for that congregation. So, pastors are special because they're a gift from God. Here's a second reason. Pastors are special because the office they have is worthy of aspiration. In 1 Timothy chapter 3, verse 1, Bible says this, speaking of pastors, this saying is trustworthy. If anyone aspires to be an overseer, he desires a noble task. If anyone desires to be an overseer, aspires to be an overseer, he desires a noble task. This is the only office in the Bible, the only job in the Bible, the only responsibility in the Bible that we're ever told people should aspire to have it. If you want to be a pastor, you're wanting to be something that's special, that's deserving of aspiration, that is a step above in terms of commitment and responsibility, and that ought to be looked up to and looked at with this kind of, in a sense, respect, and even sometimes bordering on awe, where you look up and say, that's a person who's doing something it's aspirational. It's worthy of aspiration. Now, I've bragged on Rondi quite a bit in this message. And now I'm going to say something that's hard for him to hear and maybe a little puzzling for all the rest of you. But when I left pastoral ministry and when Rondi left pastoral ministry to become state executive directors, we actually took a demotion. There's no place in the Bible that says being a state executive is worthy of aspiration. And believe it or not, there's no place in the Bible that says being a seminary president is worthy of aspiration. In fact, 
These jobs, executive director and seminary president, they're not even in the Bible. Now, that doesn't mean that they're wrong because there's a lot of things in the Bible like, that are not in the Bible, like air conditioning, for example, and we certainly like that on a hot day. So it's not wrong to create other organization to help facilitate the work that we do as churches. But I think it is significant to understand this. Pastors, they're worthy of aspiration. That job is special. It's up there. It's exalted. It's aspirational. And Rondi and I, we, we've stepped down to a second role. And he said, well, why would anyone ever do that? Because we value the role of pastors so highly that we want to help them to be successful. You know, my job as a seminary president is to make more pastors. That's basically what I do. Uh, we have 2,000 students, and not all of them are planning to be pastors, but the bulk of them we're trying to shape toward being some kind of pastoral leader. And my job is to make more pastors. And I do that because I believe that pastors are so significant. And Rondi's stepping into a secondary role now as a state executive, not because he doesn't believe pastors are important, but because he believes they are. And he knows there's about 100 of them out there across the state of Wyoming who need his support and his counsel and his guidance and his encouragement and occasionally his rebuke. But he'll do whatever he can to make pastors successful because we believe those pastors are worthy of aspiration. So why are pastors so important and why is Reuben, who's coming to you, so important? Because he's a gift from God and he occupies an office that's aspirational. It's up there. And then there's one more reason. And that is pastors are important because they lead the church, which is the most important organization in the world. Listen to what the book of Revelation says about the church. It says, then I heard something like the voice of a vast multitude, like the sound of cascading waters and like the rumbling of loud thunder saying, hallelujah, because our Lord the Almighty reigns. Let us be glad, rejoice, and give him glory. Here it is, because the marriage of the Lamb has come and his bride has prepared herself. What is this about? Well, the Lamb of God is Jesus, and the Bride of Christ is the church. We're coming together in this heavenly moment that's described in, this, in Revelation 19. And it says of the church, she was given fine linen to wear, bright and pure, for the fine linen represents the righteous acts of the saints. Then he said to me, right, blessed are those invited to the marriage feast of the Lamb. He also said these words are true. We are, the Bible says, the bride of Christ. We're the, we're the companion of the Lamb of God. We are what all of human history has been about, creating an eternal companionship people for God in heaven. That's what the church is. And Paul described it even more in Ephesians chapter 3. He said, this grace was given to me, the least of all the saints, to proclaim to the Gentiles the incalculable riches of Christ and to shed light for all, get this, about the administration of the mystery hidden for ages in God who created all things. This is so that God's multifaceted wisdom may now be made known through the church to the rulers and authorities in the heavens. This passage of Scripture says that God has had a plan hidden within Himself from the moment of His first creative thought. And that thought, that moment, that, or that, that, that idea that He had hidden within Himself was something called the church. And someday the church was going to come about. Jesus was going to die on the cross. The church was going to be made possible. And someday in heaven, all that's going to be left is God, Jesus, and the church gathered forever. And who gets to lead that? Pastors. Pastors. So these are the three reasons pastors are so important. 
Number one, they're a gift from God. Number two, they, oper- they occupy an aspirational office. It's up there. And number three, they get to lead the most important group of people, the most important organizational entity, the most important thing, if you will, in the entire universe. They get to lead the church, which is going to have an eternal companionship with Jesus and God forever. Would you agree with me that pastors are important? And yeah, that's what I want to hear. And here's the good news. God is sending you one of those. He, He looked out of heaven and said, Living Hope Church, Green River, Wyoming, they get a pastor that I've selected that is aspirational to follow and that will come and lead them because they are part of the Lamb of God, the Bride of Christ. They are part of my eternal plan and they're going to be a part of bringing to fruition my plan for the universe. That's why pastors are important. Well, let's talk about a second question. Second question is, well, if they're that important, what are they supposed to do? The second question is, what are pastors supposed to do? Now, in your listening guide, you have three lines. I'm going to give you three words. If you come to seminary and you take a class, it's a class called pastoral ministry. We teach a class. It lasts the whole semester. A bunch of reading, a lot of work, a lot of papers, a lot of tasks to try to teach guys what pastors do. But it really comes down to just three words. And these are the three words we teach for a whole semester. Number one, pastors lead. Pastors lead. This means they're supposed to have vision and manage processes and make decisions. But listen carefully. Pastors are supposed to lead the church to accomplish its mission. The pastor's not coming to lead in everything the church ought to be doing or to lead in everything the community wants him to do. The pastor's coming to lead in the fulfillment of the mission of God, to have vision and processes and decisions that will make that happen. One of the reasons that the Taylors and the Orges are here today is for a baptismal service, one of our uh, grandsons being baptized, Caden. That's the epitome, if you will, of the church being on mission. Do you know that your church has had more than 30 baptisms this year? Do you understand how few churches have had that many baptisms? How did that happen? Because you have a pastor who leads with vision and processes and decisions to do what? Fulfill the mission God has given you. So when I say pastors lead, that doesn't mean they do everything. It means instead they do a very narrow thing. They lead to fulfill the mission. Second thing they do is they teach. Now what does that mean? Well, it means they teach and preach. It means they do that in all contexts like sermons and studies and small groups. But it also means that their responsibility to uphold the doctrine of the church and to assure assure instruction for everyone. For example, right now, there's all of you in this room, but in this building right now, um, there are people leading Bible study for children and for preschoolers. 
And that hasn't happened by happenstance or just because we don't want squirmy people in the service. That's happened because Rondi has had, from the very beginning, a strong commitment that everyone here needed to be taught. So his teaching ministry is not just him standing up here talking. It's also him making sure that everyone's having someone talk to them about what the Bible teaches in a way that they can understand it that's appropriate for where they are, not only in their personal development, but in their generational development. So pastors have a responsibility to lead and to teach. And that teaching is about teaching and preaching, but it's also about upholding the doctrine and making sure the church stays on track. And it's also about making sure that everyone gets taught so that there's a plan in place for Bible teaching across the spectrum of the need. And third, pastors care. Lead, teach, care. What does it mean for a pastor to care? It means he visits the sick. He counsels the trouble, troubled. He performs memorial services and other kinds of bereavement ministry. But it also means a pastor models caring for the weak. One of the reasons I wanted to be a pastor was because as a teenager, I met a pastor that I really admired. I became a Christian when I was 13. I was baptized when I was 15. And for the 10 years from age 13 to 23, I was a member of a church that had a remarkably effective pastor. He had a profound impact in my life. I watched him lead, teach, and care. He had one story he told about caring that stayed with me all these years, a long time before cell phones. In his office one day, his desk phone rang. He picked it up said, Pastor Melton, and a little boy, a little nine-year-old boy, said with tears, Pastor Melton, can you help me? I said, what's the matter? He said, well, my name is, let's call him Tommy. My name is Tommy, and I go to your church. Yeah, I, I think I know you, son. I left my backpack at home. It has assignments in it that I have to turn in today. I can't find my mom. And I remember you said one time that when we were in trouble, when people were in trouble, they should come to church. And I wonder, Pastor, if you could help me. Now, this was a pastor of a large church, typically on a Sunday, six to 800 attendants with a staff of ministers who didn't really spend a lot of time taking backpacks to little boys. But he said that day when the phone call came, he thought, you know, this is one of my church members, and he needs help. He said, son, I know where you live. I'll be there in a few minutes. And he said, I left the office, drove over to his house. By that time, his mother had gotten home. I got the backpack, drove it up to school, dropped it off. And that day, a little boy learned pastors care. Now, let me finish that story by saying not every large church pastor can deliver every backpack okay that's not the point but the point is that pastors have something inside them that causes them to care about people and they model it and they demonstrate it and they take action to show what it looks like and out of that they ought to motivate you to do the same so what do pastors do they lead teach and care now why do I say that for you as you're getting ready for a new pastor because I want to challenge you not to expect more than that 
A pastor is not a hireling who does everything that needs to be done around the church. A, pas a pastor is not an employee that you can just tell what to do. A pastor's got a narrow focus. He's supposed to lead, teach, and care. And you say, well, there's other things that might need to be done. That's where all of you come in. Let's get those things done. But let's ask the pastor to stay focused on doing those things which make the big difference. And the rest of us find our place in supporting him along the way. Which leads me to the third question. What is your responsibility to a pastor? Well, I'm going to answer that with two big ideas. The first one is this. What is your responsibility to a pastor? Number one, support him and his family. Support him and his family. Now, I want to challenge you to do that in two ways. Number one, support him financially. And number two, support him personally. In 1 Timothy chapter 5, verses 17 and 18, the Bible says this, The elders, or pastors, who are good leaders are to be considered worthy of double honor, especially those who work hard at preaching and teaching. For the scripture says, Do not muzzle an ox while it is treading out the grain, and the worker is worthy of his wages. Church family, listen now. You have a responsibility to support your pastor financially. He's worthy of his wages. Now, you might ask, well, now, how much should we support him financially? All right, listen, I can answer that question for you. You support your pastor financially so that he can live in your community without distraction. So he doesn't have to be thinking every day about money. He can think every day about you and about church. You say, well, how much money does that take? Well, there are ways you can find that out. Let me give you a simple way. Your school district, for example, knows what it has to pay to get a teacher to move to Green River to teach school here. That's a reasonable salary that a person knows, that your school district knows. If somebody's going to move here, graduate from university, and move here and teach in our school, that's what we're going to have to pay. That's a good benchmark to start by thinking what you need to pay a pastor. Now, I'm not suggesting it has to be exactly that. I'm just saying that pastors are worthy of their wages, and you have to pay them a wage that they can live on in a community like this one. And let me go on to say, you have no responsibility to enrich a person in ministry. That's not your job. You have no responsibility to impoverish a person in ministry either. That's not your job. Your job is to support them. They're worthy of their wage. So find a reasonable wage that matches up with what it takes to just live in Green River, to be able to buy your groceries and pay your bills and put your kids in school with some clothes on their back, that kind of thing, and just make sure they have enough to get that done. That's what the Bible means when it says they're worthy of their wages. And then it goes on to say support them personally. To support them personally by being, by being considerate and supportive and encouraging to them in the work they do. So your first responsibility is to support him and his family. Your second responsibility is to follow his direction and support his decisions. Now, let's talk about this for a minute. Pastors are not always right, but let's talk about how you can follow him and support him most of the time. The first thing I want to say is that you should support your pastor, uh, on, give him strong support on what I call matters of preference. Let's look at Ephesians, or Hebrews 13 for just a moment together. Hebrews 13, 7 and 8 says this, Remember your leaders who have spoken God's word to you. As you carefully observe the outcome of their lives, imitate their faith. In other words... Your leaders are living a certain way. They're speaking God's word to you. 
follow what they say, observe their life, and participate in what they're doing. Now, what does this mean? It means you should give your pastor strong support on matters of preference. What do I mean by that? Well, pastors have a preferred way they like to do things, like Rondi, for example. Rondi likes the church set up a certain way. He likes the music done a certain way. He likes the service in a certain order. He just has a certain way he likes to do things. What if the new pastor wants to do it a different way? Well, we're not doing that because that's not the way we've always done it before. Oh, come on now. It's matters of preference. And on matters of preference, you want to try to support pastors and support what they want to do and see if you can learn a new way that they might want you to see things. Matters of preference. But what about matters that are more significant? Matters of doctrine or conscience? Well, the Bible has multiple examples of this in Galatians and 1 Timothy. The Bible's pretty clear about this. There is a time to tell a pastor no. But that is only when a pastor is trying to teach you something that contradicts the Bible. When the pastor says something that you say, wait a minute, that's not what the Bible says. Then that's the time that you do stand up and say, you can't do that, pastor, and I won't support you in that. Am I making sense to you? There's a few times, a few times when you may have to say, we can't do that because it's not in the Bible. But most of the time, most of the time, what pastors are trying to get you to do is not in the Bible. It's just a matter of preference or direction or judgment or discernment. And on those matters, do everything you can to be as supportive as you can, even if it's different than the pastor before him has done. All right, coming to the end, last question. What can you do personally to get ready for a new pastor? Well, four suggestions. Number one, pray for him and his family. Pray for him and his family. You know, it is really hard to not love and care for someone that you're praying for every day. Pray for him and his family. Pray for their relocation. Pray for his preaching ministry. Pray for his understanding of the community. Pray for them to get settled as they, get set, as they establish new relationships and friendships. Pray for him and his family. Second, Participate in welcoming events when they arrive. Participate in welcoming them when they arrive. Let me give you two or three simple suggestions. The first month that your new pastor's here, everybody wear a name tag every Sunday. You say, oh, I don't like wearing a name tag. It's not about you. It's about helping a new pastor learn his church. He's trying to learn the names of 100 people instantly, overnight. How would you like to have to do that? That's hard, isn't it? So welcome him by saying, what can we do to make him feel more comfortable? Well, we can all wear a name tag first month, everybody. So that when he looks at us, he can learn our names and learn our children and how many goes with who and who's with what. Put the whole picture together. Just simple things like that. Participate in welcoming events. In those first weeks when he's here for something, make a special effort to show up. Be here early. Stay late so that he has an opportunity to get to know you and share life with you and begin to build a relationship with you. Participate in these welcoming events. Find a way, and I don't know what this will be for Green River. I don't know what it looks like for Living Hope, but find a way to do something that says, we're glad you're here. Some kind of welcoming party, some kind of welcoming event, something that says, we, we're glad you came. Now, I'm not suggesting this one. I'm just telling you back in the old days how it used to be done, all right? When I first started out being a pastor, that's been a while, 
When I first started out being a pastor, churches did something called a pounding. Anybody ever heard of one of those? Anybody ever heard of a pounding? A few hands are going up. They're old-timey things, and I'm not suggesting you do it. I'm, fine. I'm saying, in fact, find the 2023 version of this and do it. When, when I first became a pastor in my first church, about the second Sunday I showed up, there were some tables set up in the back, and I thought, what's that about? And everybody who came to church that day brought a pound of something for my wife and I, a pounding. They brought a pound of potatoes or a pound of sugar or a pound of flour or a pound of canned goods. Or they brought something that they were bringing to say, we believe in you, we're glad you came, and we want you to know we're going to support you. It was a pound of this and a pound of that. It may look like Amazon gift cards these days. I don't know what it looks like. But think about it. And some of you who are in leadership here talk about it and say, what can we do to let Reuben and Brittany know we're glad they came and we welcome them? So the first thing you can do is pray for them. And the second thing you do is participate in welcoming them in these practical ways. The third thing is this, prepare to change. Prepare to change. I know, I know. I've invented a bumper sticker, and I could probably sell a bunch of them in your church this morning. Here's my bumper sticker. Change is good. You go first. None of us like change. We like things to be the way they are and the way we like them. I get that. But new pastors bring change. And here's the shocking thing that, that is always true, and that is new people with new ideas sometimes do have some better ideas. Ronnie and Melody haven't had all the good ideas. There are some new good ideas out there that are coming. Be open to those. Be prepared to change. You may need to change the order of worship or the worship time or something about the worship style. The preaching style may be different. He, new pastors may want to welcome people in the service differently. They may want to change the furniture arrangements or the room assignments. Things like this just change. And there's nothing wrong with that. So pray and welcome and get ready to change. And finally, prepare to do more. Prepare to do more. You have a new pastor coming, and I want to challenge you that when he gets here, I want you to be prepared to serve more and to do more and to give more. I'm challenging you to be ready to do more. Now, here's what some of you are thinking. It's only natural. You're thinking, no, I'm going to take a step back. When the new pastor comes, I want to take a step back. I, I, I want to wait and see. I want to get, let him get to know me. I want to get to know him. I want to take a step back. I want to challenge you to do the exact opposite. Take a step forward. Be here the first day and say, Pastor, what do you need from me? Here's what I've been doing. What else can I do to help you? Take a step forward, not a step back. You say, well, I'm, I don't like to put myself out there. Well, this time, get over that. Put yourself out there a little bit. Take a step forward. Pastor, what can I do to help? I've been working in vacation Bible school. I've helped in the preschool. I've served meals here. I clean the church. I go out and help Rondi with some visits when he was our pastor. I've done this or I've done that or I've done the other. But, Pastor, I just want to help you. What do you need? I want to serve. Now, that's not making a life commitment. Three months later, you may need to back up and readjust and find a better place, and he may find a better place for you. I'm not saying it's a permanent commitment. I'm saying it's a right-now commitment. Step up and say, I'm ready to do more. Because during this transition time, we're not going to lose the momentum we have. 
I want to do a little more to help you be successful. Well, I've tried to ask and answer four questions this morning. Why are pastors so important? They're a gift from God. Their office is worthy. They lead the church. What, can, what are they supposed to do? Lead, teach, and care and keep it narrowly focused and let them just do their job. Don't expect everything from them. What is your responsibility? Support the new pastor and follow his direction as much as possible on every matter of preference. And what can you do personally? Pray for him. Participate in welcoming him. Prepare to change. Things will be different. And prepare to do more. Stepping forward and saying, I'm ready. And I'm going to make this transition be successful. You may say, well, what happened when you left your church those years ago and became the state executive? Well, the pastor who followed me stayed for 24 years. The church, under his leadership, more than doubled in size from when I was the pastor. And that pastor went on to become a mentor for Rondi and a shaper of his doctor of ministry program and all that he went through there. And the pastor who followed me just last month was elected the chairman of the board of the International Mission Board of the Southern Baptist Convention. I would say that when I got out of the way, that church really took off. The new pastor who came exceeded what I did in so many ways and has gone on to have a long and fruitful and impactful ministry, as has the church. Here's what I predict. Ten years from now, they're going to be telling the same good stories about Living Hope Church and about how you went forward, not backward, as a result of pastoral change. Thank you for letting me share with you this morning. I'm going to pray for you, then have Rondi come and close out the service. Father, I thank you in the name of Jesus for the transition you're bringing about in this church family. You have made them effective as a church, and they have produced a leader who can now take on a statewide responsibility. Thank you for Living Hope Church and for their doing this remarkable ministry. And now, Father, you've sent them a new pastor. He's your gift. He's worthy of being followed. He's going to lead this church because they're a part of the bride of Christ. And that's valuable to you. And so I pray just now that you would pour out your blessing and protection and guidance on this church family as they go forward. And thank you for allowing me to preach this morning about what it means to receive pastors and to go forward with them in effective ways. Thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. Thank you, Dr. Orch. Yeah, he said much more eloquently what I've been saying, and that is we do believe great days are ahead, uh, and we mean that. Um, just a few announcements before we head out. Um, in front of you, if you're new to Living Hope Church, there should be a welcome card. If you wouldn't mind filling that out and placing it in the box on the back table, we'd appreciate it. It's also where you can place your tithes and offerings if you consider this your church home. Uh, announcements are on the back of the sermon notes. We've got uh, a bunch of them today. Uh, small group Bible study is returning tonight from 6 to 7 at the church. If you have questions, um, you can see Steve Ferguson. Um, youth group has returned, and it is uh, Wednesday nights at the church from 6 to 7. If you have questions about that, you can see Justin or uh, Emily in the back. Um, we have a baptism service coming up 
today, but we also have one coming up next week. Uh, again, if you are interested in that, uh, me baptized, come and see me. I'd love to talk to you about that. Uh, and then, as I said, we have baptisms today. And so what we're doing is as soon as we're done with church, we are all, hopefully, all of you can join us. We're going to go head over to the island um, down by the pavilion where we've been for the last three or four baptism services. We're going to meet down there. Um, it says it's 11.03. Maybe give us 15 minutes, so 11.20. We will plan to uh, be down there at the island. Uh, we've got, uh, I think, six baptisms today. So uh, please come and join us for that. We're going to have popsicles, kind of make it a party celebration. It won't take long. You should be home by the second quarter. So please, uh, please, please plan to uh, join us down there, okay? So 11.20, we'll shoot to be down there at the island. Um, as we said, uh, Pastor Ruben will be here October 1st. Uh, will be his first Sunday. Uh, if you have questions about that, you see your search team. That is Steve uh, Ferguson, Jared Bundy, uh, Amber Barnes, Chandra Britton, and Justin Lamb. Uh, so, yeah, you can see any of them if you have questions about that. Uh, and then the last announcement, our last Sunday will be the 24th. I've been informed uh, there's going to be a party to celebrate us leaving. Um, I think that's how it was phrased to me. Um, if you would like to join us for that, uh, it'll be at the pavilion after church that day. Uh, and it's just going to be a... A good old-fashioned potluck. So bring something uh, to share and, uh, yeah, celebrate that we're gone. It should be good. Um, so I think that's all I have for you. Um, please come to the baptisms. We'll be there uh, again in 15 minutes. We'll see you at the island. Thanks so much for being here this week. We'll see you again next week. And, uh, yeah, we'll see you then.